W is a proud media partner with Bethesda Theater. Yo, peace, this is Rod Stars. Peace, this is G1, and together we're Rebel Diaz. When we in the DMV, you know we're listening to that People Power Radio, WPFW, Washington, your station for jazz and justice. Let's go. where sports and politics collide and we will not discuss taylor swift in the super bowl yo we are thrilled to have chuck Modiano. thank you dave thank you oh, no problem this is a taylor swift free zone and frankly this is an nfl <laughs> detox zone because after what happened to the ravens i'm just not discussing the nfl for the next nine months unless i'm criticizing super bowl commercials or the things that i disagree with about their project but when it comes to the games, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm like a vegetarian in McDonald's right now. I need a break. <laughs> we have, excuse me, I get emotional. We got Chuck Modiano on the line who's reporting to us from a demonstration. We want to start with that. But I want folks to know we're also going to shift gears to the NBA. You know, a huge fan base in our area is the New York Knicks. And they are having a season that is frankly unprecedented over the last 25 years. And we're going to discuss why the Knicks have not necessarily won a title in 50 years. And true to my word, true to my word, I have some choice words for y'all about a Super Bowl commercial that's going to hit you like a right hook to the gut. It's going to be nothing you want to see, but I'm going to explain it before it even happens. But before we get to anywhere like that, let's take it to Chuck Modiano. Chuck, where are you, sir? I am in Union Station right now at the Shake Shack upstairs um, coming back from a number of protests. They're still going on, actually. There's one a few blocks away. But there were six different actions this morning, five of them shutting down highways and street and then a regular protest. 
um, and rally that was in Union Station. So you had police all over the city. You had protesters all over the city. I was covering one of the locations. And um, it's a sign that this is not stopping. This won't stop. And um, the leadership and Joe Biden and Congress will be held accountable. And uh, nobody is going away. Wow. Can you speak to us a little bit about the bridges that have been shut down? Have there been was there an early morning traffic snarl as people yes. were going yes. to from there? There were. I cho- I picked the one. There was one about 695. So you had protesters um, shut down 695. You you had cars backed up. Obviously, police were everywhere. And um, it was successful in that regard. What a lot of those cars that I'm doing um, that were uh, there had to end up backing up, which took a lot of time. Um, but uh, there were about four arrests to seven arrests where I was. So the police said, hey, listen, if you're you don't want to be arrested, leave. But there were people who had locked arms in the street. They weren't going anywhere. So four on one street. I, I can't confirm three in the other. I could form definitely the four because the and the reason that is is and this is dc police are notorious about this now i'm talking about capital police now um but whether it's capital police or mpd they're notorious for walking media away like they'll walk you two three blocks away and push all media back and say you can't cover this i mean they will say you can't cover this i will ask them um is there an an appropriate place or angle where i could film these arrests and, you know, they, they, they laugh at you, basically. But this is what D.C. police does. So I can't confirm if the others actually got arrested. But I know I'm sure a number of people got arrested at a number of different actions. But I was only at one of them. Well, it's worth saying, though, Chuck, that at a lot of these uh, blo- actions that have blocked highways from Seattle to New York City, there's been an interesting tactic that seems national in focus where there hasn't been an arrest focus and more of a well let's show up with all the hardware try to scare them off or at the very least stand the ground as police until people dissipate as i guess a method just to not give them the the camera opportunity of seeing people arrested for trying to stop a genocide so do we have any arrest confirmations and when i say arrests i mean particularly mass arrests at any of the highway junctures Okay, I don't have it because I was filming, and I, if I probably looked, I would. But let me give you a window into you because you're spot on. By the way, you were what you're 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 saying is is spot on. Um, there were four people still in the street, and what the police do? They wait media out. Like I'm sitting there, like they push all the other protesters away. They push all the other media away. So I'm going across the street on one of those dividers, see if I could get a shot. And they know they're gonna try to arrest those four people. But they're waiting, like 45 minutes have gone by well, after they've been circled. And they try to wait it out precisely for what you just said. And my take on this um, is that there was a something at the DNC, which wasn't good press for them going back where the police were violent um, and they did arrest. Now we're in election year. I mean, election year is here. And I believe, judging on past behavior with the police and current behavior, they would rather actually have a highway shut down and not make a lot of noise about it then make noise about it while Biden is running for election. I believe orders are coming from higher, okay? You could tell when there's certain stand-down orders from a higher place if you've been around police long enough. I don't think they want attention. They don't want attention to these protests. So they're, they're not, they would rather not be violent in any way 
because that would add more attention in an election year than act in many ways as they've done in the past. That's how volatile this issue is. And they want it to go away. But the protesters aren't going to go away. But let's also be clear. And as always, uh, feel free to agree or disagree. There's a difference between not doing arrests and then not showing up at all. They are showing up to intimidate. Oh, my God. Oh, they yeah, are I mean, it's like an argument bit about what you're seeing. And I mean, it's not like they're just sending out one officer friendly and saying, oh, no, keepers, we don't want to create too much attention on this. There's no. an intimidation factor in what they're doing as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there's an army out there. They're everywhere. Like, so when I'm there around 730 this morning, the first thing I'm knowing is every everything is cut off. This is 730 this morning. Everywhere you go, streets are cut off. Um, so I take an Uber in, and the Uber's like, I got to stop here. I can't get to you where you go. So I got to walk a few blocks. And there were a, a number of actions. So police were everywhere. It was like an army. Um, so that that part is true. But the one thing you have to know about, uh, you know, Capitol Police or MPD is that they're always very strategic. And I think more than other places, and I've said this before, they are always strategic about media, strategic about um, optics. They're... And, you know, um, they didn't have this thinking around, you know, January 6th, which is interesting. So when they, they weren't making those arrests, that's always the interesting counterpoint. But they are strategic and they are media savvy and they think militaristically in that way. So them being um, pulling back or pulling off isn't a sign that they lack violence because we have so many other instances where they were incredibly violent. It just means they're making a calculation and taking into account media in an election year. That's what it looks like to me. Mm. And, and, and that sounds right. And But I, th I think there's one of the aspects, though, that needs to be highlighted is also in an election year that there is a full-scale intimidation effect at work, the likes of which I don't think any of us have seen in our lifetime Okay. not even after 9-11, to prevent activism on this issue. There's no question about to, it. I don't want to say the name of it because uh, because it's still ongoing, but there is a, a, a small area in Maryland trying to pass a ceasefire resolution as we speak. They haven't gone public, so I'm going to preserve mm -hmm. the anonymity of the area. But word got out to the local council that they wanted to do it mm -hmm. the wrong week. Like they got the week wrong of when they thought the activists were going to come. Yeah. Filled with police. The council meeting. Yeah. Filled with police. What does that message send? Oh, this yeah. is just a local little city council meeting. Yeah. And they're that threatened by the thought of somebody just coming in and saying, well, gee, maybe our community should have a stand for a ceasefire. And hey. having people with guns show up when you are calling for a ceasefire is its own form of intimidation. It is. And there were more police than, you know, protesters. So, I mean, yeah, there were six spots. So in the spot I was at, there was one where there were like 200, but the spot I was at, there might have been 50. And there are more than, you know, 50 police there. And, and you know, it, it, which is why everybody is always, you know, protesting. police. What, what do you actually do? What, what do you do? You don't do anything. Uh, um you know, I, th I believe 8% of all calls to police are for violent crime. I mean, 
of the time, those jobs could be farmed out to other people or professionals who actually want to help you, right? Who are in order to de-escalate something. But when you have nothing to do, you, you surround a bunch of protesters who want to stop a genocide. Right, you know, and, and also sometimes you're asking people to be part in de-escalation when that's not their training. Yeah. That's not their instincts. That's not their job description. Yeah. And then, of course, that leads to tragedies that we don't need yeah. to catalog right now, but yeah. we all know them all too well. But there is one more wrinkle, though, and I want to throw it in there. And the, the other wrinkle that, you know, you heard a lot in the chants and from speakers is about the more recent development of stopping U.N. aid mm. um, because, and letting um, them starve to end the United States specific position in that with um, other countries. So this is, you know, just considered... I mean, it's it's like this is even beyond war. Like even in and forget war, genocide. Even in genocide, you have okay. We want to bring in humanitarian aid. Now that we want to do that, so you know, it's the first. Uh, people have said to me, a couple of people have said, this was the first televised genocide in real time. It's televised. Wow. We're seeing it day to day, and we're doing that. And now the leaders of this country, many other countries, are saying, no, stop the aid. Stop humanitarian aid because less than one percent of um, uh, the people in the UN, the UN uh, WRA, are, are uh, we have a problem with. It's um, cruel, but it's beyond cruel. It's criminal. It it, it is criminal. And let's, and let's be clear as well: the, the twelve people who are accused in, of the UN aid groups of taking part in October seventh, those are accusations, right? Nobody right. has been convicted of anything. And so the idea that you would stop total aid to a civilian population based upon very curiously timed accusations oh, yeah. coming right after the ICC court and the push by South <laughs> Africa to hold Israel accountable for genocide. Look, let me just say you don't have to be Sidney Hirsch or Cy Hirsch. <laughs> you don't Cy have to be Cy Hirsch yeah. to come up with this stuff. You don't have to be Chris Hedges. You don't have to be anybody... <laughs> who comes at this from an analysis of either yeah. the left or from below, people accused of being conspiracy theorists. I yeah. mean, th this is stuff that's just right out in the open. Oh, yeah. you're going to accuse us of this? Well, guess what? We're going to yeah. accuse you of that. And guess that's what? Right. Because you accused us of this, we are going to punish a civilian population. That's right. And, and really also with the way, with all the statements of Israel leaders from Netanyahu to Isaac Herzog, president, to go on down, if you really want to know all these horrific statements, genocidal statements, go to the ICJ South African Report, page 59 to 67. There are eight pages of direct quotes. If you just took Israel's direct quotes, and you could throw on some Biden quotes too, that shows genocide, meaning they are advertising their own genocide. They're bragging about it. That is how emboldened they are, that they can, like a, like a cop in the United States who kills someone, but 10 times that, but on steroids, they're emboldened that they know the, the, the world's not going to do anything without, because uh, the United States protection is here. So their statements themselves indict themselves. That's so crazy. Well, th there are statements... And we also have to put the mirror to those statements and say, what would the reaction be if those statements came from Palestinian voices or oh came or, or even like separate from Palestinian voices? What if they came from people in the United States who were fighting for a ceasefire 
right. they said statements like that. I mean, or or said it about Jews. Imagine. Oh, imagine. I mean, that's it, it would it, people would rightfully proclaim them horrific. It just seems like there's a second set of rules because it seems like and it doesn't seem like it looks like the aim of this is not just about taking Palestinian lives, but removing Palestinian identity from the Middle East. Yeah, and taking and, over the land. I think that that much is is clear. There's no oh, we're tr- the, we're trying to get Hamas is the, the the worst cover of all time. The only reason some people believe it is they're propagandized. But if you actually watch what they're doing, what they're saying, um, who they're killing, the children in the areas they're killing, where no Hamas is there at all. We know what they're doing, and they admit it. They want to take over the land. They have plans to take over the land. This is genocide. This is ethnic cleansing. They want to relocate everyone. That's why they're bombing every cultural center, every hospital, and everything. I'm glad you mentioned about the cultural centers, the universities, the libraries, the archives. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where a lot of people, and I'm glad I'm not one of them just because I, I, I... had a very close, dear, dear friend who uh, would travel regularly to Gaza to do therapy work with children affected oh by, by the bombings, and he passed away, and he'd been doing this for, for years and years and years. But I think a lot of people are learning, like, wow, even in the open prison camp atmosphere of Gaza, people lived, people built institutions of learning, people under the most horrific circumstances were able to build a cultural life for themselves and that in and of itself is being destroyed right now yep and you know what it reminds me of and i'm I'm being serious about this and i would never say this lightly it reminds me of tulsa Mm. reminds me of black broadway it reminds me of areas where people thought okay well we're we live under conditions of oppression but we can build our own institutions and how even the building of institutions, not armies, but institutions, was seen as too much of a threat to abide by racism, by white supremacy, by whatever nomenclature you want to use. And I, I just I have felt a very sharp echo in what they're doing to the cultural centers of Gaza. Yeah. This idea yeah. of erasure. That's what it is. And and the and the library, they had an incredible library. Who knows? how much knowledge that was solely in that library was destroyed that that will never be found again remind me of alexandria right i mean that this is the goal to remove identity to remove thought to remove we've seen this throughout history you know with kings doing this trying to destroy entire cultures and any remnant and every any book um and that's what's happened as well and that is quite intentional and but as you said though this is the first one that's been kind of broadcast in real time, which of course, in addition to educating people and in addition to helping build a movement, because there is no claiming of ignorance, we also know that that can also be extremely scarring, extremely difficult, extremely traumatizing for a lot of the folks involved. And I think that's something I don't think we, we pay enough attention to. But I digress. Let's take a quick break now. And Chuck... I mean, should we keep up talking about some serious stuff, or are, are we, we? Do we want to give people could, a spoonful of sugar? We could, we could, we could, we could, we could, we could segue. Um, we're going to be doing this every week. We're going to be talking about this every week, so we could segue. Uh, 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 give folks some uh, sports and some justice. And I'll tell you this: at ten thirty, I'm going to be speaking about 
Robert Kraft, the the uh, franchise owner of the New yeah. England Patriots, and his politics regarding Israel Palestine. So this issue isn't going anywhere for us ever right. on collision, but we do want to try to combine it with sports and politics. And we're going to take a quick break right now and come back and talk about the NBA team that has yeah. the NBA world a buzz. We'll be back right after this. I know what that is, but uh, Magic Mike, can you tell us what we were just listening to? It's the God AZ, Sugar AZ, Hill. AZ, I knew it was AZ. I knew it was AZ. Oh, that's so good, man. What what made you want to play that, Mike? I've just been rocking a lot of AZ lately, man. That's beautiful. I, I, I was listening to AZ 20 years ago, man, and he's never disappointed. Never. And, and in my opinion, his last album that he just dropped uh, is probably... If not his best, it's one of his best. Wow. You know, one of the great surprises of hip-hop to me over the last 20 years is how many artists have aged like fine wine. And who, who knew that was going to happen in the 80s and 90s? We didn't how the know, but I mean, if you stick to your craft, you know, you know what I'm saying? Good. I think Method point. Man has like really uh, stepped the game up even to this point of his career. Amazing. Love hearing that. So, Chuck Modiano, are you there, sir? I am here. I am here. I was ordering a Shake Shack burger during the break, so I'm, I appreciate how you both, you know, talk a little hip-hop in the meantime. It gave me just the right amount of time. Good gracious, Chuck. We're not here. That sounds here so to... good right now, Chuck. It does sound good. <laughs> We're also not here to enable your carnivorous habits. Um, <laughs> But but Chuck, you know, I've been, I've been getting some uh, to use an SAT word, sucor, S U C C O R, like a little bit of relief, a little bit of of just uh, spiritual peace by following what's happening with the New York Knicks right now. Yeah, Jalen Brunson Ooh. leading the way, eight game winning streak, just beat Utah by twenty points on a back to back, even though they don't have Julius Randle. There are rumors of them getting Mikhail Bridges from the Nets, which would unite not one, not two, not three, not four, but five members of the Villanova mm. National Championship. Wow. That's am- isn't that amazing? Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dante, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, who's playing out That's of right. his mind. Yeah. Uh, Richie, his last name begins with an A, and it's very long in Italian, and I don't want to mispronounce it. Yeah, Arch, uh, ugh, I don't want to mess it up, but he's on the bench. But you bring in a player of the caliber or caliber of a Mikhail Bridges into that situation. 
Yes. I mean, we are dealing with something very exciting. And Josh Hart, of course, from D.C., uh, there's just there's a lot of good there for people locally here to root on if you're feeling a little bit wizards burned by the fact that they are, you know, one in 97. (laughs) The OG trade was key, too. It really was. Got to talk. Yes. Since the trade, that's the key thing of OG for OG Ananobi. Somebody who can play off the ball, someone who plays defense, like he's defense. different people. Yeah. I mean, everybody complains now about the NBA, about how oh, the scores are 150 to 145. There's too much offense. Watch a Knicks game. They right. bring the hammer, the tools, the wrench, the Allen wrench, and they put <laughs> you through it for 48 minutes. And if, if you're like me, and you have that yen for 90s ball where people got to play a little bit rough, rugged, and raw. Yeah. You want to watch the New York Knicks. You really do. They're in that spirit. And the Knicks really, true Knicks always had that defensive spirit, the 90s spirit. Um, OG is in that mold. Jalen Brunson's very old school game is sort of in that mold. You know, Jalen Brunson is usually one of the, the least athletic guys on that court. But his moves... His skill level out juking people, out faking people, is very old school. It's actually very 1980s. There's sometimes Adrian Daly pops in my head or something like that. He is so ah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing, going way back there. But he oh, no. has a certain skill set that you don't see, and it reminds you that this is a game of skill. This is a game of skill, um, and he's just such a pleasure to watch. You know what? The Adrian Dantley thing is brilliant, and not just because Adrian Dantley, who went to DeMatha, is yet another local legend, who, if you go to AAU games, you're likely to see Adrian Dantley as one of the refs. He refed one of my son's games a few years ago. Get I mean, out of here. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, Coach, Coach has known him forever. Coach McNutt, who's often on the show. Yeah. Adrian, and you know what? The, the, the comparison, which I have never done or made, of Brunson and Dantley. Yeah. It's kind of it just popped in my head. I just can't think of he just popped in my head. Like I hadn't thought about it before. I literally just popped in my head because it, it's it's very hard to see a guy with that level of skill. And you know, Danley was like I think six four, so even though he was like a, a forward, but his moves were very like cerebral. And obviously he got to the line a lot, but it's very cerebral and, and um Brunson has a very cerebral game. When he was practicing those moves, he He's just thinking about how do I outfake, how do I outskill this um, other person who is taller than me, who might be faster than me, could jump higher than me. I'm going to outthink this dude, and I'm going to score. And he's playing at an all-star level. You know, I just saw a statistic about who is leading the NBA in and ones, which yeah. means you score and you get fouled. And all the people there are people that you might expect to be there, like Joel Embiid. I believe Giannis yeah. Antetokounmpo is number one. In other words, people who physically are forces of nature. Guess who right. number four is? It's Jalen Brunson. So in the midst of these trees, you have Jalen Brunson, who, you know, six feet tall if he's an inch, getting and one after and one, not through crazy athleticism, but through an ability of pump faking, of pit, using the pivot foot, I mean, it's real using the backboard and having the maybe the softest touch in the game. Uh, I I heard somebody uh, who is an absolute NBA veteran, an expert. Um, I'm gonna oh Del Curry, 
who should know something about hoops, being the father of Steph and Seth and being a great player in his own right. He said to me, it's been, and he, keep in mind, again, this is Steph Curry's dad. And he said, there's nobody in the NBA who's able to get the ball on the rim with a softer touch than Jalen Brunson. That is a compliment. Well, particularly who it's coming from. Because Del Curry had the softest touch when I was watching him. Let me pause for Del Curry for a second. You talk about Del Curry. We all know his son, Steph. Del Curry was an amazing shooter. And, and it fell through the net so soft. The only issue with Del Curry, he literally was the least athletic guy on the court. Whereas where his, where his son... And sons are far more athletic than he was. So he was very much a spot-up shooter, but he had the quickest release in the game. So if you got it to him, he just flicked his wrist. He obviously taught his children this. And the ball went in. Had um, Del Curry had just a, a smidgen of athleticism, he'd be an all-star, right? But he got there with a shot. And um, I think people forget quite how incredible the shooter was because he couldn't really do anything else. Well, I'll also say that Del Curry, if he played today, would be a borderline all-star, I think. I mean, he was that good a shooter. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm a big Del Curry guy. and I, I just don't know he, if he could take it to the rack. I don't know if he just had to. Sure, he could have. I mean, well, I think his shot is that pure. I mean, it was pure. I mean, it, it reminds no, me. No argument. No argument. No. Like, even in his day, you had Dale Ellis, who was largely a, a long-range shooter, who was an all-star. And ooh, yeah. did I love Dale Ellis back in the day. But oh, yeah. that gets me to another point, um, because I wanted to discuss with you in the time we have left with you, Chuck, and I, only, I know we only have a few minutes. We love the Knicks on this show. Atan, a huge Knicks fan. Why haven't the Knicks won a title in 50 years? And there are a lot of reasons for that I have, but one of the reasons, and this connects to Dale Ellis, is Dale Ellis played with a guy, an all-star named Xavier McDaniel. And Xavier McDaniel came to the Knicks in the early 90s for one season, and he was probably a year or two past his prime. Patrick Ewing, I would argue, never had the kind of player, when he was in his prime, averaging 28 a game, who could have elevated Ewing to that next level. I think Knicks fans, I love Patrick Ewing. I know he's local, but had an overestimation of him being able to carry a substandard squad to the title. And I think the Knicks front office did him no favors during his prime. That's one of the reasons why I think this team never won a title. They, they, they never could get past Jordan. Well, they couldn't. They, they, get, they never gave him a number two. You know, Jordan got his pippin. And he got his Rodman. Even before Rodman, Horace Grant was critical to those three championships. I, mean, I, I can't remember, tell you how many games I would watch and the Knicks were about to win and Horace Grant would grab this back-breaking rebound, sneak in there. Um, and I think there's a reason why when Horace Grant went to the um, Magic, that it was the Magic beat the Bulls in the playoffs with Jordan um, on the comeback Jordan that year. And Horace Grant was the key factor there. That said, you know, I always want to remind people, the Knicks were literally one shot away. John Starks in game six against the Houston Rockets was on fire in the fourth quarter. Unlike game seven, he was on fire. And he took that last shot. And I believe because he was nailed the three shots before it, he was hot. If Hakeem Olajuwon's fingertips do not touch that ball, 
I believe not only Knicks have a championship, John Starks goes on them, one of the most incredible heroes. And I just want to just say when we have these conversations, sometimes literally one inch of Akeem's and or Kevin Durant's toe or something else is the difference. So I always want to be. What does that tell us, though? I've heard that from Knicks fans my whole life and I'm sympathetic to it. But that's sports. That's sports. You know, you got, like Al Pacino said in any given Sunday, you got to claw for that inch. You know, and the people that claw for that inch end up with rings. No, I will tell you what it means. That's not what it is. I'm, I'm sorry. I was being rude the way I just did that. DZ. I don't want to shut your thought down like that. I want to respect it. Okay. I love okay. it. Bring it on. Okay. Okay. But we, we just got a philosophical divide here. What It doesn't mean the team that won clawed for that inch because you could point to a thousand lucky plays that have got nothing to do with clawing or this or that, that turn a game, whether football or basketball. What it means is fans put an illogical and irrational um, weight to championships. It total, I mean, total irrational, illogical weight. I did a, a study where I started looking at the NFL like, 13, 14 straight seasons, and I looked in the playoffs, and if you altered, of like 12 of the 13, if you altered one play, I mean, just it could be a penalty, a questionable call, one play, it could be Eli, um, David Tyree's catch, it could be so many things, and it turns it, and it might not have been in the Super Bowl, it might have been in the playoff game that preceded the Super Bowl, but if you went in their playoffs, one play, and I think there's a reason you never get back-to-back champions anymore. You never do. And I think we have to say, hey, listen, luck may be one of the biggest factors as we move forward. Luck, okay? Luck if a Detroit Lions punter, I'm not going to get Dan Campbell right now, but uh, doesn't drop a ball or this or that. And I think it's that. So for my analysis, I'm going to put like the analysis that is not fun, that is not a sports fan, that uh, is just not fun. And my analysis is that if you made it to a, a, a play away a, a, or two away from a championship, you're the equivalent of a champion, whether you were crowned or not, meaning your ability is equivalent of a champion. The fact that I would assign all this greater weight to um, someone getting a ring because they had a little more support or a play went their way strikes me as ludicrous. However, that is not very fun. Yeah, no, amen to that. Um, you know, the binary aspect of sports is very difficult. And the only thing I'll say about the Ravens is that, I, you know, I love Lamar Jackson. Don't care that he lost. There are people I blame for that loss. Their names are not number eight. And that's right. all I'm going to say. This has been that's a right. difficult week, but that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and, and, I, and I know who I blame. And he wasn't on the field. Uh, yo. Let's go to a quick break right now. Chuck, do you have to leave? Do you have to get back in the mix? It's 34. I got 10 more minutes. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want you to just have to hear me talk about Bob Kraft. But let's no, get- I do. I want to hear it. Oh, okay. Let's get you yeah. back on the other end, then. We'll be right back on The right. Collision. 89.3 FM, WPFW, where sports and politics collide. Changing the world one broadcast at a time. Relax. Bump the brakes. Speed him, honey. Smash the hook it up. Watch it. Look at you. 
clear like a megaphone. Pretty the heart, skip the metronome, rock the trunk tower to the pterodome. Poor house, the budget dome, soprano alto, tenor the baritone. One of the illest that you ever know. Rock steady, baby, you a stepping stone. Smash your foundation in the pebbles. My wife's leave your nerves unsettled. You take it to the next level down. Looking like a circus clown, cats like you can't even get a pound. Worldwide from the river to lakeside, my stage show stay live. Make the sound man stage job. I cut fat cats to eight lives with my eight ball. Hello, for I'm done with all nine. Got you shook like a fault line. Come on, shine and get tarnished. Rolling got your payroll garnished. They form a huddle. Whisper like they want trouble. I melt the ice grills into rainwater puddles. Make the proud hard to leave on a humble black steel in the hour. I summon my skill for my power. My bones crush bones into powder. You mumble like a coward. I'm most deaf. You need to speak louder. Get your power, your mask, and cave snatch. Brooklyn, take what you can. Mm, that, that's beautiful. We're back here on the collision. He's Chuck Modiano calling from a protest. Shout out to Atan Thomas. Uh, I'm Dave Zirin. I got some choice words I want to read to y'all. And y'all can take them. Y'all could listen to them. Y'all can agree, disagree. But it's about a commercial that's going to appear in the Super Bowl. And all I want is for our audience to be prepared when this Super Bowl hits you like a right hook to the gut. Okay, look. New England Patriots 81-year-old owner Robert Kraft writes seven-digit checks to the right-wing Israeli lobbying machine, APAC. Seven-digit checks. But his personal, political, and financial ties to Israel run deeper than the occasional donation. The multi-billionaire married his late wife, Myra, in Israel in 1963 when Kraft was just 22. And think about that for a second. He was older than the nation itself. Now, together, they set up numerous business, athletic, and charitable ties on the Kraft Company website. In particular, the Kraft Group, where NFL players are given free, highly organized vacations to see the Holy Land and come back to spread the word about the only democracy in the Middle East. IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, currently in an open view of the world committing war crimes in Gaza. Now, as Israel wages war against the civilians of Gaza, Kraft is once again flexing his mus- his foundation to combat anti-Semitism. That's his organization. Will be spending an estimated seven million dollars, Chuck, to buy a Super Bowl ad titled "Stop Jewish." Wow! Hate. It's going to be seen by over a hundred million people. Wow! Under Kraft's direction. The ads go counter the reports. This is what Kraft is saying on the news programs. It is to counter the reports and images from Gaza that, quote unquote, young people are consuming on social media. Now, the content of the Super Bowl ad is not yet known, but Kraft has has been afforded the opportunity now to make the rounds on cable news saying things like, People in the U.S., it horrifies me that they're carrying Hamas flags. This is Kraft enacting the mission. He really said that. Yeah. He really said that. Wow, how did he miss that one? Wow. I mean, this is about fostering disinformation, and he's far from subtle. A Palestinian flag becomes a Hamas flag. And people like the hundreds of thousands who've taken to the streets of D.C. to call for a ceasefire are actually expressing Now, without a sense of the irony or the horrors of what's happening on the ground in Gaza, Kraft said that he's giving $100 million of his own money to his organization about fighting anti-Semitism, 
because you're not going to believe this quote, Chuck. He's fighting this fight because, quote, hate leads to violence. I just that is outrageous. On that. Let's be that- clear. What Kraft is doing politically and what he will be using the Super Bowl as a platform to do is dangerous. He appears to think that any criticisms of Israel are inherently anti-Semitic. For Kraft, it is Jews like myself, rabbis, and Holocaust survivors calling for a ceasefire and a free Palestine that are part of the problem. Kraft seems to think that opposition to Israel, the IDF, and the APAC agenda is anti-Semitism. Look, Chuck, there is a red sea of distance, as I have written, between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. And no matter the resolutions that the U.S. Congress passes saying that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, they actually passed a resolution just to say that as if they're living in a George Orwell book. These are different political currents. Anti-Semitism is the pernicious hatred of a religion and culture. Anti-Zionism is opposing a once negligible 125-year-old colonial project in the Middle East. Zionism was a minor strain in Jewish life until the Holocaust. And in a state of trauma and immiseration, it rose triumphant with a new state built on the backs and land of Palestinian people. A new outpost of what Barry Weiss, the shamelessly racist columnist, calls the West. An outpost of the West in the Middle East. That's not subtle, Chuck. No, I saw I saw that tweet and I saw her true colors. I mean, we've all known about Barry Weiss, but never has she so outed herself standing with white supremacists. Um, um, I think it was Doug, Mur- Doug Murray. She was commending. She said the West, which is interesting because, you know, Israel's not in the West, right? But she sees whiteness. It has nothing to do with Judaism. It has to do with whiteness and white supremacy. And when you start using language like the West, you're outing yourself what we have been saying all along. Right. Now, one last point about Bob Kraft, and y'all are very patient in listening to me talk about this. Robert Kraft is a friend and a funder of Donald Trump. He has given over a million dollars to Donald Trump. He is somebody who is a total hypocrite because he says one of the missions and one of the reasons why he started his foundation to fight anti, to counter anti-Semitism are things like the Charlottesville Nazi March or the right-wing massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue. But how do you say you're troubled by that when you're a supporter of Donald Trump? And I think to me, that's what gives the game away. It's this whole sector of Christian nationalists whose perspective on life is loving Israel, not loving Jewish people who they think are going to hell. They are welcome, while left-wing Jews like myself, not welcome. And as far as Kraft's support of Donald Trump, no one who provides cover for the most powerful and public anti-Semite in the history of U.S. politics should ever be taken seriously on how we can best fight anti-Semitism. And no one who funds APAC and the IDF and opposes a ceasefire amid the carnage should be allowed a platform at the Super Bowl. 
But given that the big game is always an orgy of militarism, blind patriotism, and big-budget commercials that lie through their teeth, perhaps that ad could not be more appropriate. We can do better than Kraft's perspective on how to fight anti-Semitism. And morally, Chuck, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. And those are my words about Robert Kraft. And no one has seen this commercial yet. Mm. But I think when it comes out, its focus is not going to be Tree of Life. Uh, its focus is not going to be Charlottesville. Yeah. We know what its focus is going to be. Yeah. And it's going to be divisive. And it's going to be racist. And it's going to be conflating people who are desperate for a ceasefire and an end to the genocide with somehow being anti-Semitic. And that, to me, is a blood libel of the first order. And I don't nice. use that phrase lightly. Right. And that was well done. This is where we're at, my friend. This is where we're at. This, this is. That was, first of all, that was well said. Well done. Well put. Appreciated. I didn't even know this about Robert Kraft. I know some tidbits, but not, not everything you said. And, you know, the, this whole conflation of anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, I think it, its time is up. I think people understand. I, they're, they're, they're running the same playbook. They're going to keep running the same playbook. But we see what's going on. Young people see what's going on. They see the videos um, of children being killed. Um, so it's ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and we're, we're just going to have to keep fighting back. That's all there is to it. And that's why these protests can't stop. That's why alternative media can't stop. That's why social media can't stop. Um, they have never been, when I say they, I'm talking about big media, corporate media, and the empire. Have I don't know in recent memory where we were able to circumvent corporate media and change a narrative. Um, and that's how strong this is. And um, they don't know what to do with themselves. They just don't. Mm-hmm. Agreed times a thousand, Chuck. Agreed times a thousand. And this is where we're at right now. This is where we are at. And it's not a fun place. It's not a place we should want to be. But it's where we are. And it's why, Chuck, and I'm saying this, and I can't believe I'm saying this. For the first time since 1979, when as a young boy, I fell asleep before the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Dallas Cowboys 35-31 to 31 in the Super Bowl. For the first time since then, I ain't watching the Super Bowl this year. Wow. First of all, nod to John Stallworth on the 73 over-the-shoulder catch, one of the greatest photos on Sports Illustrated of all time. Okay, that's A. But B, let's, let's dig in. Let's dig in, DZ. I don't know. I'm You've been to my back. house for the Super Bowl, Chuck. You know. I, right. I've been to your home. A lot of times you'd have Super Bowl gatherings. And, and no, tell me why. Tell, tell me what made. Well, because, you know, we talk about this all the time. And we, isn't our position, DZ? Before you go, before you go, isn't, hasn't our position always, do you have to um, some, you work within the construct because the Super Bowl is so big, so we can critique within that construct. And now you're going the other way. Explain, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to me, watching the Super Bowl mattered because of all the commercial messages coming through. And you would want to know what, you know, because Chuck, 
the Super Bowl is like the last breath of the monoculture in this country. Trust me. And you know this, Chuck. You don't have to trust me. Everybody's got their own shows on a million different channels. Everybody, you know, kids right. are looking at TikTok. They're looking at social media, IG. Everybody's chopped and sliced and diced like the days where all of America watched television shows like The Cosby Show. Those, those days are done. Those days mm -hmm. are done. But what is the one thing that truly unites the nation's eyes in a profound way? What is the one thing that actually has a bigger audience now than it did a generation ago? Amazingly, it's the Super Bowl. I and have I'm a question. Done. I'm done with it because it's always an orgy of nationalism and militarism. But to see it as just this platform now of culture war nonsense and anti-Palestinian racism... I can't get with that, man. I can't I, get with it, and I would sooner watch reruns of Family Ties. I have that we've a been question. together for a million <laughs> no, years. Can, can I challenge you? I, I have a question, which uh, to pit your fandom versus your ethics. If Lamar and the Baltimore Ravens were in the Super Bowl, would you maintain the same position? Uh, absolutely not, because. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. Sports is irrational. And, <laughs> and I have to say another reason why I'm not watching, if I'm being honest, is because the Ravens not being there, it hurts. Mm. And I haven't been hurt by a team not moving forward in a long time. Dave, but Dave, Dave, I got a question. Said, why are that's you only a factor. I'm York. being honest. It's only I appreciate a it. No, I appreciate your honesty. I, like, I thought you were going to stick to your guns. And on some level... Like, you know, it's kind of vulnerable to, to um, put on the air. Well, OK, yes, I'm being hypocritical here. Let me explain. You know, so I appreciate that answer. Yeah. I want to know why you're not you don't root for the Jets or the or the Giants, man. Uh, because they're the Jets or the Giants. <laughs> no, I'll, look, let me explain to you, Mike, as someone from New York City. When you grow up. You're either Jets or Giants. That's just the way it is. You're not going to find people who are like Jeepers. I like both teams. And I grew up Jets, which means every time the Giants made the Super Bowl with Eli Manning, you know, for me, it kind of tasted like chicken. You know, I wasn't too into it. But and the Jets are so far gone from anything resembling a real franchise. And it will be a cold day in H.E. double hockey sticks before I root for Aaron Rodgers. I knew that, that was coming. Was, that I knew that was coming. in the Ravens camp. <laughs> Sorry yeah, that, and we're man. rooting for Lamar. I'm, I'm with you. I've almost become a Ravens fan as well. You know, we're living in the D.C. area. And Lamar is – rooting for Lamar is actually rooting more for a team, and it's rooting more for a quarterback. Uh, um, there are a lot of layers beyond um, that in the NFL by rooting for Lamar. Yeah, amen to that. Very well said indeed. Yo, we're, co we're coming to the end of our show. I want to make sure you're safe, Chuck, and in a good place. I'm in the Shake Shack and Union Station. I'm upstairs. I just had, you know, they have non-dairy chocolate shakes now here. I'm like, because I don't have dairy, it triggers my asthma. So I'm like, wow, non-dairy, give me one of those. So I had a burger, I had fries. Oh, during the show, I hope I didn't like make noise. I tried to put it on mute when I was eating because I was starving. But that's what I've been doing. Hey, you sounded amazing to me, Chuck. I'll also point out that Shake Shack is not a sponsor of this show. No, we are not doing like some sort of surreptitious marketing. <laughs> yeah.
They're not <laughs> contributing to um, Israel, are they? Please tell me no. Uh, I don't know, Chuck. Man, okay. I mean, okay. I'm I'm so worn down at this point. Yeah. I'm, I'm on questions like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more down too about this because it seems like every time you know I go to work and get a paycheck, I'm funding them too. So I, it's hard. <laughs> Great point, Mike. On what I mean, that's part of the problem with the system that we live under is that we are all complicit, even if we reject our complicity. You know, it it makes it very difficult no to to live to live a life that, frankly, we all aspire to live. Yeah. And that's one of the pernicious things about this system. Capitalism will just ensnare you. My philosophy is less harm. Okay, shop at Walmart, but I got a Costco over here. Costco is more ethical. They treat their workers better. I'm going to go to Costco. So where you have those choices, not everybody does, then I think it's it's this or that. That doesn't mean, you know, Costco is perfect, but what it means is harm reduction. There's no way. This phone that I am speaking to you on was created by child labor and oppression. There's no way to escape it, but there is a way to have a consumerist attitude to say, how do I do less harm in a, in a realistic way? Wow, that, that, that's very well said. As for me, I sit in the dark and eat organic celery. <laughs> I knew it, I knew it. You drink tap water, right? Oh man, o- only when I have to. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> most of the time. Oh, no, I heard some things about Nestle. That's a whole other episode. A whole other episode. We'll have to cover that soon. Well, yo, Chuck, stay safe out there, okay? Absolutely. Appreciate you. And please also, before you go, give a a little salute to the A. Philip Randolph statue in Union Station. Oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm about to walk right by it. I'll give it a little salute. I've been to labor protests when they're like, the gathering point is the A. Philip Randolph statue. And I always found it to be beautiful and moving. A. Philip Randolph would have been for a free Palestine. There's no question about it. Magic Mike, thank you so much as well. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers to you. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Off the jet, couple of peas, you know we get wet. Let's fuck with the ripper. Understand what it is when we're hitters. S's in the back, all sweat. Look at them red, we going all jet. Shorty look like salt and pepper with the door knockers on and the Gucci lever. And you know it's whatever. Biz on the ones and twos, breaking the zoom. And we show out at the wall of fame while they spray out. With the legend on the thing, Rock Creek T got things on a chain, and we at the crystal skates while the girls on the bitch who turn daylight. CD Enterprises presents Grammy Award-winning jazz singer and songwriter Gregory Porter live in concert. February 25th at the Theater at MGM National Harbor. Tickets are available now at MGMNationalHarbor.com. Don't miss this generation's most influential jazz sensation, Gregory Porter, live. WPFW, building a better world 
one broadcast at a time. Peace, everyone. I'm Brother Jamil, and in the Yardbird Suites tradition established by our dear brother Askia Muhammad, we continue every Tuesday morning from 5 to 8, playing some things you've never heard before and also playing some old favorites. But we invite you to join us each and every Tuesday as we have an audio family reunion right here on WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington. Peace. This is Andy Shalal, founder of Busboys and Poets and a longtime proud member of the WPFW family. I'm thrilled to be back on the air with my new show, Next Up to the Mic. During the hour, I'll be hosting writers, artists, poets, activists, as well as literary, political, and cultural leaders in our community. Tune in every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. right here on WPFW 89.3 FM, your station for jazz and justice. Peace. Brother Jamil here informing you about the D.C. Black History Celebration Committee's annual Black History Month kickoff on Saturday, February 3rd from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. at Westminster, D.C.'s Jazz Church. The keynote speaker is none other than Professor Tom Porter on the role of black artists in the movement for justice and peace. For details, call Chuck Hicks at 202-421-8608. That's 202-421-8608 or email mrblackhistory at yahoo.com. The event is free and open to the public. Westminster Church is located at 400 I Street Southwest in D.C. Again, the date is Saturday, February 3rd from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. WPFW building a better world, one broadcast at a time. Gil Scott Heron said, The revolution will not be televised, and yet we've seen oppression, suffering, and resistance streamed in real time across this country and around the world, from Palestine to D.C. In times like these, it's imperative to have a station like WPFW that centers justice, reflects hope, and fosters solidarity throughout our music and public affairs programming. From February 4th through the 24th, we offer you the opportunity to partner with us in this critical work of liberation by donating during our Winter Pledge Drive and ensuring that WPFW will be here to chronicle the revolution. WPFW, Revolutionary Radio for Revolutionary Times. WPFW presents Jazz at 100 2024, a sonic centennial tribute to those artists turning 100 years old in 2024 and one that will surely become an annual broadcast. On February 2nd, from 5 a.m. until midnight, we'll celebrate the music of Max Roach, Marshall Allen, J.J. Johnson, Sarah Vaughn, Blossom Deary, Armando Peraza, Lucky Thompson, Louis Belson, Dinah Washington, Bud Powell, Paul Desmond, DC's own Charlie Rouse, 
adopted D.C. native son and my father, Sonny Stitt, and many others. That's Jazz at 100 2024, February 2nd, 5 a.m. until midnight, right here on WPFW, your station for jazz and justice, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. The best in live music entertainment is coming to Bethesda Theater.